Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. If you haven't listened to us in a while, which is understandable because we've been gone for a couple months, we are a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. Now, it's not the, you know, little 15, 25, five-year things. No, we're going for those big milestones that everybody cares about when everybody's clamoring for that Blu-ray release of some godforsaken movie that you've never heard of. But the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, sometimes even the 50s and 60s. Because when it comes to horror, you can just reach back into the annals of history, and there's so much to go. It's it's great. I'm Adrian Torres, your host as always, and this week we wanted to do something special since we're bringing you back into the fold. We wanted to choose a film that was probably the last film you would expect us to do, but for very good reason. And that film, of course, is Sorority Row from 2009. Now, if you hear Sorority Row, there's probably a couple things that come to mind. You're probably thinking, House on Sorority Row? No, that's not this. This isn't Sorority Babes at the Slime Ball Bolorama? No. This is, again, 2009. One of our newer ones that we're doing because we wanted to try something different. And that's because a couple years ago when we were first starting this, one of the first episodes that we had somebody come to us and say that they wanted to do was the Psycho Remake. And I was so excited to have the person on. And then their podcast that they had on the side got really popular. So we won't mention their name. Hopefully I'll get them on at a special time because you never know what you're going to get. And since this is a show about people talking about their love for a certain movie and the reverence that they have and the way it's kind of looked at through time, Sorority Row was a great one. Now, Sorority Row is a very, very, very simple film. It's about a sorority house. And about things that are going wrong. One of those classic situations where somebody has a hazing prank that ends up going wrong. And then, okay, I've rambled on because we've been back for a little bit, you know, so it's okay. It's understandable. But my guest that I'm very, very, very excited to have, you would know his writing from Bloody Disgusting. Or if you're a listener of podcasts, you should, should, should be listening to the Horror Careers podcast. Please welcome Trace Thurman. How's it going, Trace? It's good. It's a Saturday afternoon, and I'm just getting off a rewatch, probably my 20th rewatch of Sorority Row. So I am excited to talk about this movie. How are you? I'm doing great. That's the whole reason why I wanted to have Trace on, because this is – he he's probably one of the few people that you will find to go super, super, super at bat. You heard 20 times. 20 times. <laughs> Well, it, so this it's actually kind of funny. So like my first editorial that I ever wrote for Bloody Disgusting was on Sorority Row and like defending it. And this is like five years ago. And like it's I, don't read it. It's terrible because like I, I like to, my writing's gotten better. But um, no, I, uh, it's I have a thing for the underdog movie. And this movie is an underdog. Uh, I I saw it in theaters at one of those advanced screenings. I was in college and they were like, you know, giving away free tickets. And I took my friend to go see it and it ended. And I. I looked at him and I was like, because we didn't think it was going to be good. It looked stupid as fuck. And, oh, wait. I can say fuck, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Uh, and I looked at him when the credits were rolling and I was like, did you think that was really fun? And he looked at me and goes, <laughs> yes, but no one's going to believe us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, right, we're, we're going to be able to easily skip one of the questions because that's usually the first one we ask. So we'll oh. we'll think of another fun. No, no, it's it's no worries. It makes it, it, make, it, makes it easy. You that That's the passion that you have for it. And it, this is really interesting that we're recording this week. We were talking off the air for a second that I, earlier this week, hosted a screening of the documentary Wolf Ga Wolfman's Got Nards, which mm -hmm. is about the Monster Squad. And in the documentary, in uh, 
there's a part where Andre Gower is basically asking a whole bunch of different people how to define what a cult movie is. And you've got a whole bunch of different people who are given different answers. And they actually have a somebody who has a PhD in film says you could ask, you know, like 50 different people who either like films or are writing about films what they consider to be a cult classic or a cult film in general. And you're always going to get a different answer. Mm-hmm. And that that's why I wanted to highlight something like this. Even though it's 10 years out, this is the type of movie that even if you're not the biggest fan of it, you can definitely see it developing a cult following and you look at some of the older films that that have been covered on this podcast something like you know martin or or piranha or the blob and these movies that when they first came out weren't really received well but then you get to that 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 10 year point you could look online right now and just within the last month or so you can see that groundswell of all the people who are talking about scream 4 right now yeah and it it, it seems like the 10 year point is when people decide are we coming around on this? Are we still in in that point of not necessarily being like, oh, we'll give it another 10 years. And, you know, I, I was going to bring up the Scream 4 comparison too, because that's definitely a movie that, that has been reappraised, not only by people, just more people watching it now, but yeah, from people saying, oh, it's actually good. It was ahead of its time. And it's like, yeah, no shit. It's great. <laughs> I don't think this movie, I mean, hey, I love this movie. This is like a four and a half out of five for me, but I'm fully aware that it's a stupid, simple mishmash of the original House on Sorority Row and like, I know what you did last summer. Um, and I do see more people coming around to finding it fun. I don't think it's going to get the critical like recognition that Scream 4 has. But I also think it's a movie that the gay community, the queer community, has really embraced. Not only because it has a gay director, um, but it's also just full of bitches. And <laughs> the gays love a good bitch. <clears throat> That's, I, one of my notes that I, that I took is, uh, is Jessica, uber bitch with jokes. I mean, I could fill this podcast with her line deliveries. It is insane. I mean, like, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in just a second because we have to get to the to the second part, the second question first. Because okay. for again, for the people who are listening for the first time, Trace is he has a following out there. So I know that I'm going to get some extra people who might not be familiar with the podcast. Right, so, right. I, it's very simple. There's usually five question five base questions that I ask every single guest. I'm not able to answer the first question because as you saw, Trace was very excited and I've got I was over I was that. I was overzealous. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Uh, but five questions that we ask everybody and it's kind of when we ask those questions, it's able to open up kind of a groundswell as you're going along and discussing those elements that you can dive deeper into the movie. I know diving deeper into the movie is not exactly what you expect with Sorority Row, but hey, here's a podcast for this. Congratulations. Um the the Second thing I have to mention is that this is going to be a spoiler podcast. So Trace is going to do something in just a second. And then after that, if you have not seen the film, pause the podcast, go watch the movie and then come back. Or if you don't think that you're ever going to end up watching the movie and you just want to enjoy listening, you know, talk to us, keep listening. That's fine. Because the second question, Trace, is for the uninitiated and as few words as possible, describe Sorority Row. Okay, so uh, hold on. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, so six bitches. Um, I'm sorry, five bitches and one protagonist. Uh, they do a prank on a sorority party one night where they give one of the girls. Um, one of the girls is like mad that this guy like cheated on her. 
uh, even though she cheated on him first. So it's like whatever. Uh, but um, basically, they give the guy roofies, uh, fake roofies, but he thinks they're real roofies. And like, you know, she is fucking him. They're fucking around. And she pretends to vomit and die while they're having sex. And so to scare him. And that's like their idea of a fun prank. So all the girls um, and the quote unquote dead one played by Audrina Patridge from the Hills. Uh, they go with the guy to this quarry and they're like, Oh my God, she's dead. We can't go to the hospital. What are we going to do? Let's find rocks. Dismember the body. And him thinking she's still dead. Stabs her in the chest with a tire iron and really kills her. Uh, they hide the body, and then eight years later, sorry, eight years, fuck, eight months later uh, at graduation, someone knows what they did last sorority party and starts to stalk them and then kill them and people in their circle for reasons unknown until the end of the movie. Yep. That's, that's very succinct. I think I think Joe would be proud of, of how quickly you were able to, to rattle <laughs> I, it off there. I don't know. I think it was I was a bit locatious with that one, but that's okay. This movie deserves all the words. There you go. There's plenty of words in this movie. So again, if you haven't seen it, pause here. Stop. Yeah. We gave you a moment. There you go. So so now you're in for 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 the ride and everything. So right off the bat, one of the things that I have to ask you about this movie is what is it um, that, that you think is causing people to come around to it? Now, you said that it's got this big kind of um, outpouring of, of love from the gay community. What do you think mm-hmm. it is that, but besides just the director, it, yeah. do you think there's anything else? Or what is it to you that keeps you coming back to this film? You know, I think it's, there's a charm in this film. I think when it came out, a lot of the criticisms around it were like, oh, it's too simple, it's stupid, it does nothing new for the slasher genre. And I think there's a comfort in that, though, for horror fans, when you just have a slasher that isn't trying to do anything but be an 80s slasher movie. And to some people, that might be stupid. To others, slasher fans, it's comforting. Um, why the gay community go uh, gravitates towards it specifically, it's, I mean... It's full of one-liners. It is full of biting, gifable one-liners, and we love that. I mean, that's a generalization. You know, I'm spe- I'm not I'm not trying to speak for the whole gay community here, but me personally, and for some people that I know that like it, that's kind of what it is. Now, that may not be enough to make the movie good for you, because um, Joe, my my co-host, um, he is like, it's fine. I do love the bitchy one-liners, but the movie's fine, and that's fine. But it's enough to make me really love this movie. No, I, and I can totally see that, and I. Being completely honest, this was my first time oh, seeing shit. this movie, so <laughs> it was it was very interesting. Um, I had a terrible experience, not from watching it, but trying to watch it, because my wife at the last minute was like, "Hey, got some people from work, and their husbands want to go out and grab drinks. Is that cool?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm not going to say no to that, and I don't want right. to be an asshole." So I went online and quickly just put Sorority Row streaming to see if there was an easy place to watch it, and saw Shutter come up, and I'm like, "That's perfect." So I clicked on it clicked uh, add to list when I got home later fired up shutter in the bedroom saw it was there on my list went to go play and it said cannot load file oh no what the what the hell's going on here tried it again ended up closing it cleared the cache unplugged the system started it restarted it after that only to come and find out when I went to living room and try to watch it sorority rose not actually on shutter somehow through the magic of the internet, I was able to add a movie that exists in their database, <laughs> but the actual file does not exist on them. So <laughs> then I had to go and and find a and like quickly just like pulled up Voodoo and just rented it. I was just like, okay, 
by then, by all this had happened, when I got home, it was about one o'clock in the morning. Oh my god! And I had to I had to work at six o'clock this morning, so it was like, yeah, this is this is fun. So it was an interesting viewing experience, but I, I liked it because <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to to talk to you about it because from the first standpoint, I can definitely see it being. Like, it's kind of middle in the road for me, but I can see it being a film that if I go back and watch it more and more, the things that might have bothered me the first time kind of slip away, mm-hmm. and you're able to uh, get into the rhythms of it more. Is that something that you've noticed as you watched it? I I, th- I think because when I, w- when I saw this in theaters, I had such low expectations for this movie. <laughs> the marketing wasn't good. Like, I mean, the, the, the cast was mostly unknowns, minus Rumor Willis, daughter of Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. Um, and, I mean, maybe Jamie Chung, who uh, she, at the time she was famous for being on The Real World, San Diego, I think. Uh, but everyone else was just kind of no. I mean, well, Brianna Evigan's from Step Up to yeah. the Streets. But, like... I was just I was so pleasantly surprised with how entertaining it was. And okay. I, I find it very self-aware at how stupid it is. Um, like, I mean, there's the moment when um, when Rumor Willis hides in the closet and like her feet are clearly visible. Yeah. yeah. And it's, she's just like shit or like she's crying the whole fucking movie. And Jessica, the main bitch, is just like speaking for the audience. She's like, can we just leave her? It's yeah. it's so funny. It, it seems very aware of what it's trying to do. And I think. When I when I'm judging a movie, I'm like, okay, whether or not I like it or not, what is it trying to do, and is it mm-hmm. succeeding at that? And I think this movie does succeed at what it's trying to do. Well, do you feel that that in any way connected to uh, the writers and there possibly being a disparity between like the writers and the director? Because the writers, of course, they did this. They do mm-hmm. uh, Piranha 3D and then Piranha 3 Double D. Yeah, and you can definitely see kind of like uh, an an escalation in a chart from them doing this to then doing those movies that, that are, are getting stupider, but also more self-aware as they become stupider. And the director who did this, his other film of notes is Max Steele. Yes, it is, (laughs) which I've never seen and I will never see. And when I was watching it, I think that's why I fell in the middle this first time is because there's lots of stuff that I was laughing at, but the way it was presented didn't feel exactly congruous with things that were happening. Like, Maybe it was me. Maybe it was just the time that I was watching it. But the camera work in this movie mm-hmm. seems like it was done by two completely different people. Because there's times when it's shot like an actual movie. And right. then there's times where it's just like, oh, no, our all our equipment broke. And all we have is this DV camera that's attached to somebody's hand. Well, it's like, yeah, the opening scene, which is the the, the tracking shot through the house, through the party. It, it's, it immediately sets you up like, oh, this is like done by a professional. Like, this is a yeah. real movie. Filmmaking. Movie. Uh, and, yeah, then other times it's like, eh, like, whatever. And it's interesting because the cinematographer, like, he went on to go do Deadpool. And he's doing, he's doing the cinematography for Terminator Dark Fate this year. Uh, so, I mean, and I, and even going to the screenwriters too, like, yeah, they did Piranha 3D and Double D cause they're a duo. Um, except, yeah. um, one of them, Josh, Josh Stolberg, he did do the, the Dane Cook movie, Good Luck Chuck by himself. Oh. Um, yeah, not great, <laughs> but, but then they went on and did Jigsaw and now they're doing the Saw movie that's coming out next year with Chris Rock. And mm-hmm. I like that they're changing up their style, but it's just like, I don't know what, this is a, such a weird cre- career trajectory for them. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's why I was feeling like I, I'll give all the credit for those elements that you're talking about work really well because that's what stuck with me was those little jokes. But it feels like the way it's being directed, what maybe wasn't on on the same page. So I think that may be some of the again from the first time watch was kind of throwing me off. But but I, that's why I wonder: is it something that melts away? 
I think so. I mean, I, 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 have you seen the original House on Sorority Row? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, and that, that's like it's kind of like a it's a low budget looking thing. It's a kind yeah. of shoddily film, but it's also kind of stupid. And this this Sorority Row, I think, falls into the category of what people criticize about a lot of remakes around this time, like the two thousand three to two thousand ten time period, where it's like, oh, it's a slick remake. Like it's yeah. um, it's like that music video style, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the Thirteenth. Like you take these grimy kind of dirty things and you polish them, even though you're still showing grime and grit on the screen. It looks slick and people don't like that i do so i mean it might just be a matter of personal taste well no, I, I i definitely put this much higher than like uh, uh prom night or, oh yeah uh, or what was it the the april fool's day that was around that time because but but, yeah. but but they still have that feeling of being like okay here's here's younger you know actresses and actors that we know the audience will be like oh look it's pretty people yeah but 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 this one, I think the difference that helps set this above is both the humor that you mentioned, and then while there's not a ton of it, when they do go into the gore, they are willing mm-hmm. to give you gore. Well, and that's the funny thing, too, because when they were going to film this movie, it was intended to be R-rated, and then when Prom Night was so successful, I mean, Prom Night, I think, was made on a $20 million budget, so more than this, but it made, like, almost $60 million worldwide, so... The studio, some entertainment, was going to edit it down to PG-13. And then I guess oh. the director or someone went to them and they were like – or they saw the final cut and they were like, oh, right. no, this works. Um, unfortunately, Somebody who is smart. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for the film's box office because it flopped hardcore. But we still have a better movie, I think, than had they cut it had, – had they taken what we have now and they edited it down to PG-13, I think that would have been a, like a trash fire of a movie. Yeah, but I also think this mo- had this movie come out like now or within the last couple of years, I think that it would have made uh, a better amount of money than it did when it came out a decade ago. Yeah, and slashers, which I mean, even with Scream Four, which didn't flop, but it was definitely like the le- it didn't gross that much money. Um, I think slashers were just not cool at the time. And even going back to your comparison to Prom Night and uh, April Fool's Day, those are also two movies that took themselves very seriously and were really yeah. trying to be scary. Personally, me from this movie, and maybe it's something I've gathered on repeat viewings, but I find all of this very, maybe not wink, wink, like it's not very meta. It's not something like you see in Scream or Cabin in the Woods. It's not a smart movie, but yeah. I think it knows it's stupid. Like it's like a vibe that I get from it. Uh, no, I can I can easily see that, and and that's why I think it's it's something that because you have like those weird camera things that are coming in throughout mm-hmm. that the first time you see it, it it's slightly disorienting because there's plenty of things that I liked. And I'm really curious, especially listening to you talk about it, to go watch it again with these things in mind. Because the first time you're watching it, you're kind of trying to put it together saying, okay, this part is winking. This part's playing more serious. What's the – which one am I supposed to latch on to here? And and that might be a, an issue that people have. Um, I, I have a fairly morbid sense of humor, so I laugh throughout a lot of this. Um, but, yeah, I um, – I'm not sure exactly, but I do think it's a movie that, that benefits from having a couple beers and having a group of friends and yeah. doing like a movie night with it because it's just kind of like a fun group experience. I I also like done a deep dive into the special features. There's a commentary with all the girls, um, minus <laughs> mi- minus Jamie Chung um, and the director, and it's like a picture in picture commentary. And it's just like oh. they're all having so much fun just talking about the movie. And you, I think that fun translates on screen. Um, but I've also noticed that you know some of those things like. The bitchiness, um, which mm-hmm. I like, there are some people that just they don't like they're like, oh, well, those characters are unlikable because they're such bitches. Whereas for me, I'm like, I find that endearing. I, I 
and it's interesting, and I'll see if you you agree. But it doesn't feel like just the bitchiness. I think it's also the the speed of mm-hmm. lots of the, lots of the line delivery. That it's not one that there's not a whole bunch of passages of silence. And when right. people are talking, it's very much like a 1930s or forties, like rat a tad in the old screwball comedy way where you've got people that are, that are going back and forth. And it's like half the time when Jessica's in a conversation, there's a shit ton of lines with everybody. And she's got like every third or fourth line that somebody says she's got to come back to. Yeah. And so th- there's a much faster delivery than I think what most people would expect from a film like this, which I completely respect because it kept my attention the whole time. I'm like, okay, you, you guys are doing something here. I mean, this is also a movie where when they find the rotting corpse of their friend in the shower, Jessica goes, Oh, she looks terrible. Like (laughs) it's just like, but it's it's an ADR line too. I noticed that. Oh yeah. It's totally ADR. (laughs) Totally ADR. (laughs) Which feels like it's like, shit, we need another joke in here. Get it in there. Get it in there. Yeah. Um, so the next question Next main question is, is there a signature scene or moment in the film that you think best encapsulates what this movie is? Oh, um, besides the, oh, she looks terrible line, which I mean, I think I get a rise out of every time. I do think it's the scene whenever um, they find. So it's basically like um, it's they find the jacket like they because in the beginning of the movie, the one girl that doesn't want to go through with the plan is Cassidy. Yeah. And so they to make her go along with it, they take her jacket and wrap, Meg- wrap Megan's body in it and throw it down the mine shaft or the well or whatever. And are just giant shits about it, too. Like, that's what yes. stood out. It's like, she walks away for two seconds, and then they're all just like, Jessica says, like, one line, and they're all just like, yeah, fuck her. You're right. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. No, they're like, we we won't tell anyone what you did, Cassidy. Like, uh, it's, it's so, it's like, I can't, like, I mean, she and she distances herself from them over the eight months. But, yeah, so yeah. the jacket shows back up. And Ellie, Rumor Willis, finds it. And so basically they're all recouping in the room um, right before the party starts to, like, figure out what's going on. Because Chugs has just been killed via glass bottle down the throat. Um, And they're kind of, like, deciding what to do. And it's I think it's very emblematic um, of the – because there's bitchery in that scene that's not fully present in the prank gone wrong scene because it's, like, it's more serious. But I think you get a feel for all the girls' dynamics and – just how fucking amazing Leah Pipes is in this movie. <laughs> yes, I I agree, and she she almost overpowers some of the other people. Like, oh, huh, yeah. I I think Jamie Chung's defining trait in this movie is that she's Jamie Chung. Yeah, she, she's the Asian girl in the sea of white faces. <laughs> and and Rumor Willis is crying the whole time. Yes, so. but at least the movie does something with that to make yeah. it funny but yeah jamie chung who i i like as i think she's very charismatic but she doesn't yeah. have a lot to work with here other than yeah she's the asian girl and she likes to be in the hot tub which also is how she dies <laughs> but but it's it's yeah it, it's an interesting movie to to watch because i can definitely see like the next couple of years like maybe it'll be like a weird 15 year anniversary is when the people really come out of the woodwork for it. Cause I can easily see people trying now to get, you know, people to watch it, but it takes them a couple of years to finally get around and see it. And that's when yeah. the groundswell perks up. Cause it has all those moments and it feels like it was just marketing wrong and came out at the wrong time when everyone else was getting the remakes that were more, I guess, overtly being sold as remakes. Well, and it's interesting though. So this came out, I want to say like, a week or two before Jennifer's body. And that's a movie that was also very like poorly marketed because it's marketed towards teenage boys when it was actually meant for teenage girls. Yeah. This movie, I, 
I don't know. I mean, because it, it's two men writing it, which I think, and I, I think their writing is fine. Um, but it's, yeah. you know, you're under that thing where it's like, okay, we have these two men writing all these women, and they're all like really mean to each other. So I understand that criticism of it is like, well, what if a, what would this look like if a woman wrote it? Um, which I guess we'll see when Black Christmas, the, the next Black <laughs> Christmas remake comes out in a couple months. Um, but it's, the, the marketing wasn't terrible for this. I just think it looked, I mean, it just looked like a generic slasher movie, which I just don't think America was into at the time. Well, especially because it came out on September 11th. Yes, which it was supposed to come out in October, and they moved exactly. it to September. And I'm like, why would you do that? I don't know. Because when a, when a studio, especially a studio like this, isn't really sure what they have on their hands, they kind of, they try to find the dumping ground that's close enough that, hey... If it mm-hmm. does catch on, it can bleed into the beginning of October before stuff comes out. And it's just kind of the it's a weird two times a year dumping ground where somebody throws up a Hail Mary of like three or four movies and they know one of them will stick. Like STX does that yeah. a whole bunch of times a year where they're like, here's four movies all at once. You'll go see one of them. Well, and this is some entertainment, which I think like the, the year before this was when Twilight came out. So they were in yeah. Twilight mode. Um, but I mean, I, I guess, too, because the marketing, it, it was marketed as a scary movie. But then the closing, like the stinger of the trailer is uh, Carrie Fisher going, I run a house with 50 crazy bitches. And then like that's the end of the trailer. So I guess maybe that's going to what you're saying about the tonal juxtaposition where it's like, wait, is it trying to it, it's funny. But then like what other things are doing, it's like taking it seriously. So it's like a, like a tonal mishmash. I don't get that from this movie, mm. but I can totally see how someone would. Yeah. Since we are 10 years out, and you can easily say that the landscape of film has changed, especially when it comes to horror, since we're in this great, weird period where you've got so many things that are coming out on streaming, people have more access to to horror films that are coming out through like the indie scene and festivals. You've got a lot that are coming out in the theaters now that... Is there anything that you've seen, is there a contemporary film you can see that's kind of reminiscent of what uh, Sorority Row was going for at the time? I'm not really sure. I mean, just speaking to the film landscape, whether it's horror or not, I think Mm. I find that in times of political unrest. um, So, you know, no matter what political affiliation you fall in, I feel like America is unhappy with politics right now. Like people don't like to talk about it. I mean, you know, we have a president who whose approval ratings are not very high. Um, and I found that in those times, that's when the creative boom for horror specifically really tr- tends to rise. But also people want movies that are more fun mm-hmm. than not. And so I think, I think you're right. You know, had this movie come out today, I think it would be more well received because it's just a fun movie. Whereas, yeah. you know, in 09, you know, we had Obama, everyone was, I mean, everyone, you know, quote unquote, people were generally happy when Obama was president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but what a, a recent horror film. I'm, you know, I'm, oh man. Um, let me see. Let me, give me a second to think. No, it's okay. It's okay. I, I mean, that's, that, that's the difficult question because you either, people are either able to answer or like come up with an example right away mm-hmm. or they have trouble doing so. And I mean that, but that that's twofold because you can try to think of something that's close, even if it seems completely different. And I can think of one off the top of my head that it's not, it's not the same, but it does have elements of, of the film that shows people going in kind of a different direction. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably get a, a very like mad grimace from you. So we'll see, but uh, something like happy death day. Oh no, 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 that that's actually very apt. Um, yeah. 
no, and granted, that, I think that one leads more into the comedy, obviously, and they yeah, went they yeah. went the PJ team route. But that's also a movie where the I mean, I have a friend who hates that movie because he hates that character. <laughs> He's like, she's such a bitch, and I'm like, yeah, but that's her arc. Like, she becomes yeah. a nicer person. <laughs> but but you, you've got you've got the sorority setting. You've mm-hmm. got a killer on the loose. You've got a, a whole bunch of female characters who are you know within the sorority house who are all bitches to each other. And mm-hmm. but you've got that stronger. Uh, from the filmmakers' self-awareness with the, the jokes that they're making and, and playing into that comedy more, that it's not exactly the same, but it does feel like pushing it, you know, in that direction yeah. further. Well, and also, gay writer-director. Um, so I, I, I agree with that. And I would, I mean, it's t- it's not really a movie, but I would argue, like, like American Horror Story Coven, which is my least okay. favorite season of that show, or even, I mean, <laughs> the, the season that's on right now, 1984, the slasher season, you know, it's it's... Maybe not quite the same, but it's kind of in that same ballpark. But I think your comparison to Happy Death Day is much more apt. And um, even the way the films look and are filmed, I think, are very similar. At least the first one. The second one, you know, goes a bit um, yeah. more sci-fi, but still. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the – when you, when you try to find that point, and I, it's, it's like you're mentioning, you know, with people wanting to go for, for entertainment and pushing the creative buttons more when you have – um, a different political landscape kind, kind of shows that difference that y- you have sorority row that's that's being self-aware but it's not completely pushing that because it's mm-hmm. still kind of playing things safe or then you have a movie that's pd13 but it's pushing the self-awareness more and it's pushing the creativity yeah more. you know I, I have another one that may not be quite as apt as yours but unfriended which Ooh, okay you know it's a bunch of awful awful characters they're terrible yes. no one and that's another complaint that people watch that movie and they're like i don't want like to see that i'm like yeah but you're <laughs> the fun of that movie is a the innovation of just the way it's filmed on a skype screen yeah and b watching them all die exactly and it's cathartic yes and they're all bitchy they're all trying to like you know sh- throw each other under the bus and stuff which i think is reminiscent of this movie and so yeah that'll that'll be my answer for this <laughs> No, that's a good one. I, I will definitely. I've got. I've got no problems with it because it still has the the whole people did something and you know in the past to yeah. to somebody basically and that whole thing coming back. And so it does have that prank uh, element to it, which is you, you're kind of moving away from that. I know that at the time it was easy to, even though it was still a bit of ways comparing it to. Um, I know what you did last summer. But mm-hmm. we, we even in the last ten years we haven't had a ton of stuff that's gone that route. So who knows? No, not maybe, at all. Maybe in another 10, 10 years they'll do another variation of a uh, sorority row. I mean, I think it just needs to be slashers need to come back into style. But I mean, this latest season of American Horror Story is getting the lowest ratings out of any season of the show. So I just think I feel like maybe slashers. Well, I say that, but then you know you have Halloween last year making seventy five million dollars opening weekend. So. what is it with mainstream audiences? Like, you know, what makes a slasher attractive to them? Well, it it goes back to what you were saying uh, just a minute ago, that you look at the most recent Halloween and it still has all those hallmarks of, you know, the kills, uh, the humor with the character, but it was also about survivor syndrome and, and how people deal with that. And I think because of the different stories and things that have been, um, in the news the last couple of years that that's something that people really uh, connect with because I, I think the two prevailing sides you have when people connect with horror is they're either joining into like the, the comedy or their kills as escapism 
or they're connecting with it because of something happened traumatic in the past that they're able to watch it and feel the catharsis of what the people on screen are doing. And so when you tap into that like survivor side of it, that Halloween, you know, definitely gets to those people who may have something like that in the past. Right. And and that snowballs more than you're expecting because it's not your your traditional like like we were saying, the slasher films, the regular slasher. There was something extra to it that people were having to bring to the table now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're we're in a weird time where you have to do something like that. Or you still have all the people who are attempting to make throwback movies to look like they would in the 80s. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're not out of that woods yet. So it feels like we're on the cusp of having more traditional slashers um, come back. Well, it's it, I think that's fascinating, though, with considering how popular 80s nostalgia has been for years now that we haven't really had that kind of. I mean, because when's besides Happy Death Day, when's the last real original slasher movie that's not part of a franchise like that we had come out into theaters? You know, not even V. I mean, we've had some on VOD. Um, mm. I just I just watched one last night called um, Haunt that I thought was really fucking fun. But okay. it's not going to theaters. No. So I don't know. Well. I, and I, but I feel like that's twofold. One, you have all those smaller companies who are able to pick it up and put it on to, you know, right. VOD, knowing that, hey, we can make back the money this way and then we'll just, you know, make several more. And it feels like the second element is even though we have the rise of streaming media everywhere, for lots of these films that were from the 80s and 90s, you have that resurgence on physical media that mm-hmm. people are buying it because you have, you know, Vinegar Syndrome, you have. Uh, Blue Underground, you have uh, Synapse, you have, you know, uh, 88 films in uh, the UK, you've got Scream Factory who are taking these films and putting them back out. So you have people who are spending their money on that and they're, you know, diving into the nostalgia without having to see it in a new product. Yeah, that makes sense. With the final question, which is the big one for you, which we know the answer to already because you've been talking about it the whole time, basically. <laughs> Is uh, having rewatched this film for now the twentieth time, uh, do you feel that it still has that uh, original sense of um, uh, reverence of, of each time you watch it, or do you think you it's at the points now, ten years later, seeing it for this twentieth time, that the shine is is slowly coming off it a little bit? You know, it, I. I worry about that every time I watch it because this is a movie that I show people a lot because it's one I say, oh, Sorority Row, and they're like, that, why would you recommend that movie? I'm like, no, it's really fucking fun. I And I like to watch people watch it because you get to see them be like, oh, like watching them laugh. I mean, again, you'll kind of know who's going to be into this movie or who's not. But, you know, yeah, I mean, like, I know I know these jokes. And so I, <laughs> I don't, like, laugh as much as I used to. But, you know, I mean, like, honestly, I guffawed twice today re-watching it. And I was like, you know what? If it can still make me laugh, like if different parts, I mean, maybe next time I watch it, those jokes won't make me laugh, but others will. I don't know. But yeah, I still find a massive amount of entertainment from this movie. Um, it delivers a lot of what I want from a slasher. Um, there, it is a, even though it's a gay director, it is a bit male gazy because there's tits in this movie for no fucking reason. Um, <laughs> the shower scene makes no sense when the girl gets killed, yeah. and it's like, wait, the killer would not just when you know who he is, wouldn't just be in the shower and wouldn't yeah. just happen to, cause his motive is like, Oh, like I'm killing people that know the secret. But like she just found out that secret cause she just happened to, or it, it makes no fucking sense. And the movie doesn't even try to explain it. And Cassidy's nowhere even near the room. Nothing. You have the, you have the girl who, who's like, fine, I'll leave. But first <laughs> you, you, you have to see my perfect tits. And you're just like, 
what yeah ex- but see then that's where like the, the gay sensibility comes through where it's like all right but then again you have two straight men writing it and so it's uh-huh. like does he think do they think this is how women talk to each other and <laughs> i don't think that's how women talk to each other but goddamn do i not find it funny to watch in this movie yeah and so i i think it still holds up and I also appreciate the audacity of the film because a lot of people complain also about the killer reveal and how his motive is really stupid. But that's <laughs> that's why I like it because mm-hmm. they do that fake out with Kyle, uh, Jessica's senator boyfriend. And I, like, yeah. I, me- I remember seeing it in theaters and I was like, oh, like that. A, it's obvious. B, it's really boring. That really sucks. And then they throw a curveball and say, oops, no, it's Andy. And he's only doing it because he wants his girlfriend to have a better life. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and the only reason he's doing it is because she happened to admit to him this yeah. happened. And that's what sends him. It's like you're, you're, you're charting. You're like, so one night sometime several months ago, whenever it was, she well, no. ends up. No, so like, so she didn't tell him. He so that's that's, oh, that's right. He, he yeah, he, he, has he, to, he, he has to explain his string theory of people who he found out from Rumor Willis. Rumor Willis told him at some point. He he mentions it like offhandedly, and then so it's just, it makes no sense because it's yeah. like he he's doing this to like make her life better so they can have a happy life so that this secret will never destroy her life. But then the second that she's like, no, this is wrong, he turns on her immediately and then all of a sudden he's pissed off because she never trusted him enough to tell him and then it's like okay (laughs) like whatever shouldn't you have been more pissed that the two girls were technically just casually talking about it in the shower right right so he should have he should have just killed all three of them then and there be like well i gotta kill the two of you because you're just casually discussing it and you who just happens to be over here and can't control the soap that you're trying to hold on to you gotta go as well and it's like he's just chilling out in this senior shower just like like (laughs) eavesdropping on them to see oh are they gonna tell anyone are they gonna talk about it is anyone gonna find out like he's like it makes no sense and it is black hood yeah oh which right that i think that was one of there were uh, two elements of his that that made me go, okay, this is definitely uh, an intentional. We're being dumb for the sake of being dumb. Mm-hmm. Is it that in his back pocket, he's holding that extra tire iron? Like, yeah. <laughs> when he's talking to her, they go to the shot from behind him that shows her, but you can see in his back pocket, he's got another one, mm-hmm. just like they're throwing knives for him that he casually has back there. And then. When he t- ends up turning on her after he explains that he's the killer and everything, yeah. he's randomly gone into the other room while part of the house is on fire to grab his black cloak and put it on that he didn't have on a moment before. <laughs> yep. It, it's so silly. And the movie doesn't even try to like explain it away. It's just like, nope, this is what we're giving you and you're going to like it. And I like it. So <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm into it. Here's a side question that I have for you for, for comparing these. It was a couple years earlier, of mm-hmm. course, but do you think in a way you could pair this in a weird double feature with Valentine? Yeah. Um, so here, I, I, would, I, I, I knew that would bring up something. So that's why I wanted to, to mention well, it. No, I mean, because so like, I'm a big Scream fan. And so the post wave Scream, uh, the post Scream wave of slashers, you got Urban Legends 1 and 2. Uh, I know you did last summer, Valentine. I. I, and I rewatched Valentine recently because I got that Scream Factory Blu-ray, and I, I like it more than I did when I first saw it. But I actually do think Valentine is kind of boring, um, and it is lacking some of the fun kills. It has your bitchery with Denise Richards, but overall, like I think it's kind of a bland movie. Um, I would pair this with Urban Legend, or I know you did last summer before Valentine. Okay, 
Okay, I can see that. Valentine, it, it always, it, it's not a long movie. I know it's like in the, the 90 or maybe an hour and, and 40 minutes. And it yeah. Feels like it just needs about like 10 minutes chopped out of the middle of it. Yeah. More, and, more, more David Boreanaz bloody nose. Well, and you know, maybe it's making me a hypocrite, you know, because I, I hate the killer reveal in that movie. I think it's so, but, but okay, no, no, I'm, I'm going to take that back. The killer reveal does suck, but. <laughs> The killer reveal of David Boreanaz, like the equivalent of that in Sorority Row, would be if Kyle was the killer in this movie. That's true. That's true. And and this movie, even though it makes no sense, sidesteps that and gives you this <laughs> other thing. And and that that's why I'm like, this movie is so stupid, and it knows it, and it like calls out its bullshit. And so that's why. I mean, I I get what you're saying with the tonal, even the score itself. I mean, like most of the soundtrack is comprised of like you know party songs, and yes, I own the soundtrack, but they're. Like, even the opening scene with the tracking shot, they blend the score in with the pop song that's playing um, as it moves through the house. And it's really technically impressive. Um, score, by the way, done by a guy who does music for RuPaul's Drag Race. So another gay <laughs> underbelt. <laughs> so who would you suggest that, uh, check out this movie if they're on the fence or if they need to give it a second try? I think if you're looking for something to critique, this is not the movie for you. I think if you're looking – if you have a beer or a glass of wine in your hand and you want to sit down on a Friday night and have a fun, no-brainer time, this is the movie for you. Um, I mean it, it's fun. It is just fun. There's nothing else to this movie. There is some style. I think the performances are good given what they're working with. Um, I do think that Cassidy Brown Evigan falls into kind of bland protagonist syndrome sometimes. So like the that's why Leah Pipes is the standout in this movie because even <laughs> though she's the least likable character, she's the most entertaining and interesting character. I I I totally agree with that, and I think that it would work for since we're in October, and there's plenty of nights where people are like, oh, I want to watch something new. I want to watch something I haven't seen before, and those are usually settings where you've got you know at least three or four other people over at your place. And so, like you said, grab a drink. And I think throwing this movie on, they could, they could do far, 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 far worse. And I think they yeah. come away more entertained than they would expect. I think, yeah. I think if you just go in expecting whatever you expect, when you hear the name sorority row, I think you'll walk out pleasantly surprised. And the last thing we have to mention, because of course, just, just the time and place yeah. that, that we're in and uh, the fact that we haven't mentioned her yet, even though she does play a small part, Carrie Fisher is in the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, no, I, Carrie Fisher's great. She has three scenes, maybe. Yeah. She gets a really badass death scene. Like, she gets to run through a sorority house with a shotgun. Mm -hmm. She busts Leah Pipes in the face with the shotgun. <laughs> Which I love. It's I love so good. It. It's so good. I mean, it's... It's just really fun. And uh, did you, uh, I don't know how, if you were a Disney kid in the 90s, but like, did you ever watch Even Stevens when you were like, did you I watch that ever? I know Stevens, but I did okay. not. So Chugs is Margot Harshman, who played Tawny in Even Stevens. Um, that means nothing to you, but maybe someone that's listening will know what that means. <laughs> it's okay. I, I mean, you got in a Disney reference, so I'll, gi I'll give you credit there. I mean, Carrie Fisher's a Disney reference since Star Wars well, I, is no, Disney I know, now. I know. Well, no, I, but I meant, I meant more so, you know, like a like, like a, a kid show reference from, from, right. from Disney. So there, there you go. I'm sorry there wasn't an opportunity for Lizzie McGuire. So I, it's, I that's OK. I know. No, because no, even Stevens and Lizzie McGuire were like the two shows that were always on next to each other when I was growing up. Doesn't mean so they're the same, though. 
doesn't no they're not the same, no no they're not the same but it's okay i'll take margot harshman it, it could have been hillary duff but whatever no she was great i I, w- I was actually genuinely disappointed that she got knocked off as as early because she yeah again no offense to jamie chung i like her and everything that she's been in i mm-hmm. would have preferred she be knocked off because yep. chugs at least had a personality and a, oh. a, enough of a personality that you want her to stay around for a bit if she's Wait. if she's a male if if, the, if that was a male character in a male centric horror movie she's it, she's gonna last past the halfway point and right then die i mean when she's sitting there with the freshman saying that her vagina is cold and he she needs him to warm it up for her <laughs> And, and so then she's just like, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. And just grabs her bottle of booze and takes off. And he's like, wait, what happened? <laughs> well, because he's like, you smell like vomit. Because I threw up earlier, yeah. but I had a mint, so you're good. <laughs> you're good. You're fine. <laughs> but yeah, I like that. And then she was gone. I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. that's disappointing. What is it her line when she walks into the therapist's office? I'm, I don't have time for catch me, rape me. <laughs> Again, it, there are jokes aplenty in this movie. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. The dialogue is so fast that it that it works. That they they know that if they rattle off like seven to ten different jokes, five of them are going to land, and that's not a bad ratio. So right, exactly. I'll easily take it. Okay, so Trace says this is a movie you definitely should try to check out. That, that's all that matters. Ten years later, and and I'm I'm predicting in another five to ten years that we're going to see it, it pick up even more. That doesn't mean that it's the greatest film of all time, but I definitely think that. It it definitely deserves, you know, a rewatch. And with it all did, these all these it, films that are that are getting um, a, a second chance, I think that it should be in there as well. Yeah, and I'm not saying that y'all have to think it's like a perfect movie, but I don't think no. it deserved all the vitriol that it got when it came out because it was it was panned. It made it made it did not make its money back. Uh, it was really fucked up. So I just think that it deserves a like a second look, yeah, or a first look. And I can totally agree with them there. All right, Trace, this is the moment of the show where you get to plug and promote everything that you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, really, it's just, uh, I mean, I occasionally write for Bloody Disgusting. You'll see my reviews pop up uh, from Fantastic Fest in September and South by Southwest in March. But outside of that, it's really just the Horror Queers podcast that I do with my lovely co-host, Joe Lipset, uh, who is Canadian. So we do it remotely. It's awesome, just like we're doing it now. Uh, but yeah, we look at a horror film every week. And we look – it's either a horror film with a queer aspect, be it in the plot or someone, like, working on the film, or we just give it a queer element ourselves. Like, we just did um, – well, this is coming up in a couple weeks. But we just did House on Haunted Hill, the remake, and it's, like, just can't <laughs> – it just can't – there's no gay shit in it, but it just can't be as hell. And it's just fun to talk about. Wait, which – which the 99? Yeah, the 99 or... movie with uh, okay. Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jansen. I was trying to think because I thought that there was – and it, I'll admit to that. Maybe, uh... No, no gays. I mean, there, there is like a, a homophobic line of dialogue, like a, yeah, a, a gay. Okay. There's, a, there's a gay panic line in the movie, but it's like yeah. a split second. It's like we're talking hostile here. No, um, no, 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 no. But I, but I thought that somebody <laughs> tried to make uh, an insinuation about Chris Kattan at one point. Nope, not Chris Kattan. Uh, Famke Jensen asks uh, Jeffrey Rush if. Cause she's, oh, she, that's right. Because of the problems that they're having in the relationship. Yeah, she's like, "What turns it on? That uh, what turns you on the most? That I'm sleeping with other men or just the other men?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, anyway. So yeah, we we talk about that. <laughs> I I think it's a pretty fun podcast. So uh, if you're interested in uh, horror from a queer perspective, then um, you know, check us out. I I will definitely second Trace. Their 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 show is great. They've got a whole bunch of great guests that come on, and they it, they they don't 
you know specifically choose uh, one set time. They they kind of jump around. You might have a movie from 2019. You might have a movie from like you said 1999. You might have movies that are in between or back in the 80s. It just depends on what they're covering. And and you guys yeah. cover cover just a a wealth of films. I mean, you were able to have Knife Plus Heart recently and then do fucking Cursed. Yeah, right. absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, the format of the episode will vary depending on the movie. You know, something like Dead Ringers, like David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers, is going to be a more subdued episode but less riffing where it's like, oh, we're analyzing this. But then Cursed, it's like, you can't analyze Cursed. So it's just like riffing the whole time. And if you guys are curious about... His co-host, Joe, we, we, we're going to have him on next year so that you can have the, the opposite side. Because as yeah. much as they, they do agree on stuff, there are plenty of differing opinions there. So. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll pick something like, I don't know, Canadian. <laughs> Probably. But he'll pretend <laughs> that it isn't Canadian. So Yeah. <laughs> okay, Trace, where can people find you online and where can they find Horror Queers? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Traced Thurman. That's my first name, last name with a D in the middle. Uh, D is my middle name. And uh, then you can find Horror Queers. Uh, we don't have a Twitter for it, but we do have a Facebook page, uh, just Horror Queers, and a Facebook group that you can find. Um, that's just called Horror Queers Group. It's pretty self-explanatory. And um, that's, of course, all of our stuff goes on Bloody Disgusting. Uh, the podcast itself is everywhere. It's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, whatever, SoundCloud shit. Uh and then, yeah, we post everything on Bloody Disgusting as well. So if you, for some reason, can't find us in a podcatcher, you can just Google Horror Queers Bloody Disgusting and we'll be right there. And you can find me at uh, Yo Adrian Torres on Twitter. And you can find all the information about the show at Horrorversary. Um, the episodes are basically going to be coming once a week now that I'm getting back into the habit of it. And we had some problems with the website and SoundCloud that have been addressed and fixed. So everything will be up there and it'll be great. Make sure to tune in, tell everybody about it. If you end up seeing it pop up on iTunes or wherever, make sure to rate it. You don't have to give it a five star. That That's okay. Four is fine. Three and a half is fine. I, I've got no illusions about oh, it. Oh, that's Just... bullshit. Give it a five star. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but until next time, everybody. Be nice to each other.